This is the time of year here in the state of Colorado when many of us are heading out to enjoy the beautiful lakes and reservoirs, to recreate with family and friends. But on occasion, there are unwelcome guests that invade Colorado's normally pristine waters in the form of algae and E. coli. We're talking water quality today on Colorado Outdoors. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. We're talking water quality today on Colorado Outdoors. Uh, joining us now is Mindy May, CPW's Water Quality Coordinator. And Mindy, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. For starters, uh, give us a little background on the bacterial and algae that we see here in Colorado's waters. And I know sometimes that can make headlines during the summer months with some closures, but give us a bit of background to start off with. Yeah, so I'll start with E. coli. So E. coli comes from species of both mammals and, and birds. And that E. coli can certainly make people sick if it's in high enough concentrations at places like our swimming beaches. Um, E. coli is also used as a fecal indicator. So there's lots of different bacteria, viruses, and parasites and feces that can make people sick. And so what we do is we test for E. coli, which is a pretty fast and inexpensive test. And then we use that as an indicator for all the other pathogens because it would be very expensive to try to test for all of those at the same time. Sure. So when we see high levels of E. coli, we know that there's probably other things there that might make you sick as well. And we typically see the highest levels of E. coli after rainstorms, which will wash those species into local waterways. So we talked about E. coli. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about algae. So algae is a good thing. Again, it's a naturally occurring thing. It, it's the base of the aquatic food, food web for most aquatic systems. And, and most algae is harmless. But there's a few species of this one type of algae called blue-green algae that's capable of producing toxins when they grow rapidly and form these dense populations. And these dense, dense growths are called algae blooms. And some of these can produce toxins that cause either rashes on the skin, they can be toxic to the liver, and very rarely they can produce neurotoxins. And these toxins can affect any organism with livers, neurons, and so that would include a wide variety of things, including people, dogs, fish, birds, and other wildlife that might be drinking the water or coming into contact to it. So CPW monitors water for those blue-green algae, and then the blooms and toxins are most likely to occur when there's high amounts of nutrients in the water, which would include both nitrogen and phosphorus, and when, when there's high temperatures. 
So after a rainstorm in the summer, that's typically when we see these um, heavier algae blooms. Now, these substances aren't actually occurring. Are there things that humans can do that, that maybe add to the issue we're talking about here with our waterways? Yes. Both E. coli and blue-green algae are made worse by certain human activities, and that's anything that would allow feces or nutrients to get into our waterways. So things like poorly functioning septic tanks or um, poorly operated wastewater treatment plants can be a source of bacteria and nutrients. And then, you know, for the normal home- homeowner, both, both feces and nutrients can get washed into waterways during rainstorms. So not picking up after dogs, applying more fertilizer than can be taken up by the plants, or applying it at the wrong time of year, like in the wintertime when the plants aren't really growing, um, those species and fertilizers can get washed into streams when they're just sort of left on the ground. And so another thing we can do is humans create a lot of impervious surfaces like roads and parking lots that don't absorb water. And so the rainwater that falls onto those surfaces picks up nutrients from things like grass clippings, fertilizer, dog waste that's left there. Instead of soaking into the ground, it sort of gets filtered out before it goes into the waterways. When it's on top of an impervious surface, surface, it gets washed quickly into local streams. Um, And then some de-icers used on sidewalks, driveways, and roads can contain nutrients that can also stimulate blue-green algae growth. So what is CPW's water quality section responsible for monitoring? What what do do you folks kind of do on a daily basis to keep, uh, keep an eye on things? So all of our state parks that have swim beaches are monitoring E. coli on, um, I think, a weekly basis. I actually don't know the answer to that question. That might be a better question for Scott Roush because the parks do that part of it. Um, the CPW water quality section is helping out with monitoring of um, potentially toxic algae. So when we see an algae bloom at either a state park or a state wildlife area, those samples get sent to us. We'll look at it under the microscope and determine what type of algae is it. Is this is this algae that's blooming, is it even capable of producing toxins? If it is, we'll do what's called a strip test, which is a pretty rapid test that can look for uh, the presence of certain types of toxins. And then if we see any of those strip tests come back positive, we'll take it to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment's lab, where it will undergo more thorough testing. Um, and then based on those results, we make recommendations to the park manager, the state wildlife manager, to either post a caution sign, post a warning sign, um, take whatever action is necessary based on the levels of toxins and sort of what we're seeing. And you mentioned Scott Roush. We're going to talk to him here on the podcast in just a few minutes as we continue with uh, Mindy May, CPW's water quality coordinator. All right, you talk about algae. Well, what causes a bloom or a toxic bloom, Mindy? So algae, particularly blue-green algae, they like really warm water, so particularly in the summer is when we tend to see issues with this. And they also like high levels of nutrients, so that includes both nitrogen and phosphorus. Um, and so that when you get warm water, lots of nitrogen, lots of phosphorus, those algae have all the things that they need to grow rapidly and outcompete all the good kinds of algae. Um, and then when that happens, We typically don't see toxins unless there are really high populations of blue-green algae. Um, So that's sort of what we're looking for, um, high nutrients and high temperatures. Now, this is the time of year, obviously, when we're out and about. We're heading out to recreate a little bit at uh, the lakes and reservoirs throughout the state. Is there something when we go out uh, as a family maybe we should be looking for in the water? 
Yeah, there are definitely some signs that you can look for, although I will say that just looking at the water body can't tell you if there are toxins present. Um, Sometimes we see really heavy algae blooms and that there's no toxins present. So just because there's algae there doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem. But the type of algae that can produce toxins, they tend to float on the surface. So if you see a lot of algae, um, springy stuff kind of on the margins of the lake, That's typically not what we're worried about. We're worried about bright green, typically floating at the surface. Sometimes it will look like grass clippings in the water or little tiny pom-poms in the water floating around. Those are sort of the things that when we see, we we know we need to do additional testing. Are there some of our lakes that might be more susceptible to algae blooms or E. coli than, than maybe some others? Definitely lakes that have higher levels of nutrients, warmer waters, tend to be more susceptible to the algae blooms just because we have the conditions that really fuel that algal growth. And then for E. coli, um, I think our urban parks tend to to see the most issues with with those types of um, E. coli. When you're out and you do the tests for CPW, I mean, what, what does that process look like when you're testing for, you know, toxic algae blooms or E. coli? Yeah, so in both, we're just going to collect a small sample of the water. Um, In E. coli, we tend to focus on the swim beaches and and make sure that we're testing where people are most likely to be recreating in the water. For the algae blooms, typically we're focusing on the downwind side of the reservoir. That's typically where the algae will collect. Um, They get blown by the wind to the downwind corner of the lake. So we'll test over there. And again, we're we're filling a bottle. typically at the surface of the water mm-hmm. uh, is where that algae likes to concentrate. So we're trying to get a worst-case scenario from that location. You know, it seems that uh, in, in the last decade, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm paying more attention to it, but it seems like I've heard more about blue-green algae, and I know there were some closures in swimming areas at what, Chatfield and uh, Cherry Creek early the month of, of July. Is it becoming more prevalent? And, and if so, why in, in your mind? I do think they're probably both becoming more prevalent. I think the population of Colorado has grown a lot in the last 10 years, and with more people, that means more dogs, more nutrients. Um, and so those, again, are the conditions that really create the E. coli and nutrient problems that lead to the algae issue. Um, I also think it's a case, though, that people are more aware of these issues. And so particularly with the algae, we're finding that more people will report issues to us and let us know, whereas I think... Ten years ago, I certainly wasn't aware of toxic algae, and I think that was true of most people. Um, And so I think there's just a better public awareness. So I think it's both things. I think they are occurring more frequently, but I also think that we're better at detecting them. Is there something that we can do to help in terms of kind of how we conduct ourselves around the waterways or or if we live near waterways, whatever it might be? Absolutely. I think anything you can do to help prevent nutrients and feces from going into the water is really helpful things like picking up after your dog, making sure that you're applying your fertilizer to your plants and not to the sidewalk and you're doing it at the right time of year and not adding too much. Uh, Those types of things are really helpful. And then when you're picking a de-icer, look for one that does not contain urea. Um, The ones that are just contain salt, those tend to not have the nutrients added to it that can help fuel algae blooms um, later in the summer when, when things warm up. And finally, Mindy, is there anything else that you can think of, maybe that I haven't gotten to, that you want people to know about water quality across the state of Colorado? Yeah, I think Colorado is known for generally having great water quality, 
and uh, people shouldn't be afraid to recreate. Most of our waters are safe. Most of our algae is safe. Um, just keep an eye out for signs when Parks and Wildlife post signs or you see signs that warn of a closure. Be sure to respect that. Um, and I think that would be the best advice I could give. Well, Mandy, you've given us some great stuff to think about. Normally when we head out and recreate, all we're thinking about is having fun, but I guess there's more to it than that. So we appreciate the time today on Colorado Outdoors. Thanks. It was great to talk to you. We continue now talking water quality here on Colorado Outdoors. And joining us, the aforementioned Scott Roush. He's the Deputy Regional Manager of CPW's Northeast Region. Scott, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Maybe you can start off by letting us know the role of the various agencies involved in inspecting and testing for algae blooms or E. coli across the state because there seems to be a difference between city, county, and state agencies, correct? Um, yeah, that is correct, Mark, and thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, it's really up to the, the lake manager and who's in charge of that that body of water. You know, for CPW, um, it's us here at uh, with any of the state parks and then any of the state wildlife areas. But then you look at um, whatever the county it might be, whether that's Larimer County at Horsetooth or any of those types of things, or the city um, in terms of like Sloan's Lake there with Denver and stuff down there too. It's a matter of which agency is actually in charge of that. That's, that's who's, who needs to really be looking at, at what's going on with the algae blooms and the E. coli if they have their swim beaches, their natural swim areas. So what happens when, it, when a test comes back and there is a high level of toxic algae or E. coli? You know, what, what is CPW's response at that point? Well, they, you know, they're, they're a little bit different, and I, I'll talk about the, uh, the E. coli first. And the E. coli is really related to designated swim beaches. And you look at those like at Cherry Creek and Chapel, they both have designated swim beaches. And those are areas that we have, like, roped off. Um, their people are coming there. They're, they're actually paying a fee to come there um, to use those swim beaches, and they have facilities there that, you know, it's designated. The people are coming there. It's concentrated. Those are the areas that we're testing for E. coli. Those are the only areas that we test, and we do test those on a weekly basis there. Um, and if we, if we get a high reading on that, we will close those areas immediately, um, and then we will retest um, every 24 hours until we get a lower reading um, on those areas. And that toxic algae, um, those areas we look at around, um, it's more of observing the water, and we're depending on the type of um, area you're in, some areas are considered high risk, medium risk, and low risk. If you're in a high-risk area, you're, you're monitoring that again on a weekly basis, kind of just looking around. And if you're seeing areas that look like they may be having an algae bloom and then we're taking a test on those, um, you can do a test strip on those and then you can send in the water samples if you think you may have a bloom going on there to see if it actually is toxic. Um, and a lot of times what we'll do is the first step on the toxic algae bloom is we'll put up cautionary signs and we'll say, hey, you know, it looks like there could be one starting here. We'll get test results back that are high. Then we'll put up a warning sign to let people know that they, they shouldn't be in the water. They shouldn't have contact. They shouldn't allow their dogs in the water at that time. Okay, so maybe you touched on this a little bit. But So once you do get to that point where there is a closure, what are the steps then to reopening? Is it just a matter of time, or are there things that uh, CPW does? Um, to reopen, the, um, with the, the swim beaches to reopen, as soon as we get a lower test um, on the E. coli, we will reopen immediately on that also. So any time that we get that 24-hour test, as soon as we get a low test, then we can reopen on those. That all goes through CPTHE, and we have to report through them. Um, the toxic algae, it, it is. It's a matter of time, and it's really watching and, and retesting and keep testing to see. And with, with the toxic algae, it's not like we have to close the whole reservoir. Um, you know, it's just... They're usually in spots. So um, we had some instances at Cherry Creek a couple, I think it was last year, year before, where we had one by the marina and there was one by the swim beach. And so we closed those areas of the lake. We don't close the whole lake. We don't have to close the boating or fishing or anything. Okay. It's more of that water contact. It's, it's the swimming people in 
once we get those good test back results back, and, and then we can open those back up. You know, frequently when you have these conversations, you hear the term uh, dog off leash areas. And since you were the park manager at Chatfield State Park for a number of years, what would you see or typically hear from visitors in those dog off leash areas uh, about, you know, dogs being in there and the possibility of becoming sick or being affected by it? Yeah, you know, over the years we did get reports from people um, um, that they thought that there was algae blooms going on down there and that their dog had been sick. And, and we would go down. So as we get reports like that, we would go down and test Um to tell you, we, we, we didn't come up with positive tests when people, when they did that. And there's a lot of other things in the water that, that, that can cause sickness with, you know, Giardia within those ponds. And, and there are, especially at Chapel, those ponds down there, they get pretty stagnant in the summertime, and there's not a lot of water flowing through them. Um, you know, it, it's the biggest thing if people see that. It's like, if it doesn't look right for you to be in there, it doesn't look right for your dog to be in there, then you probably don't let them in there. You know, it's just okay. that common sense thing about what we look at and everything. And with the, the dog off leash areas, you know, we, we look at that. If we get a report of one, you know, two people saying, hey, my dog got sick or something happened down there, it's a concern. But we also have to look at those areas have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of dogs in them on not a daily, weekly basis. They're very, very popular, you know. And, and unfortunately, some dogs are more susceptible than others, just like humans, you know, in terms of how they react to, to different uh, diseases, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And we haven't, had, we haven't had a big issue there, but we've had reports of it before. Well, what do people need to keep in mind? I mean, obviously following the uh, directives uh, when, when CPW you know, finds the higher levels, but just as we're heading out, because it's that time of year when we're heading out to the lakes and reservoirs, that kind of thing, are things we should keep in mind when we're heading out? Yeah, I mean, there is. I mean, when, you, when you're going out there, and, and obviously if you see something, you know, in the water and you kind of see that uh, in a, uh, kind of that green soup type thing and everything, that's probably not the best place to be. You know, that's what you want to stay out of, and that's just a visual on your part and, and people's part. If they, and like you say, if they see the caution signs and warning signs, then, then respect those. Um, the other thing is when you're out there with your dogs and stuff or you're in people, um, make sure you're picking up after your dog waste and stuff like that because that's the type of things that can cause e- high E. coli and stuff like that. And, and with your kids and stuff, you know, yeah, there's a tendency sometimes we're out there maybe too far from the trash can, but make sure if they have diapers and stuff like that, get those thrown away. Um, you know, just make sure that, you know, that they're not leaving those out because then what happens when we get the runoff, we get the heavy rains, all that stuff washes in the water, that's when our E. coli starts coming up and everything. So yep. just making sure you, you know, pick it up after yourself, packing it out and everything. Rarely do we do a Call of an Outdoors a podcast where at some point we don't mention packing out what you carry in, so it's always important to keep keep that in mind. I, we kind of glossed over it. I want to make sure we make this point here that when you do close down a swim area, that the other activities, boating, fishing, water skiing, those kind of things, are open. So I, I don't want somebody to think, oh my goodness, they closed down a swimming area. We can't go out and utilize one of the great recreation areas here in the state. Yeah, no, that is correct. It, you know, we, we close the swim area. It's just the swim area. It's just that swim beach area, especially for E. coli. And even with the with the algae toxin, we, we may, like, uh, put caution signs and warning signs up. We're not closing the reservoir. Um, we're just limiting access to that area for people in the water and their dogs. So boating is always open. Fishing is open. We, we haven't closed down for any of that. The, the one that gets into, you know, a little bit of the gray area is the paddle sports. And when we get into paddle boarding and stuff like that at Bar Lake, we did close that down to, to paddle sporting one time because of the a high algae bloom there right there by the boat ramp where it's a very popular area for people to do. And technically paddle sports, you know, paddle boards are vessels, but they, they have a, you have more of a tendency to be in the water in contact. Sure. So we did close down at that point for those. Yeah. Well, what's the best way for people to find out about closures because of, you know, any high-level uh, testing that you've done with algae or bacteria in water? So are there other areas, websites, uh, social media accounts we should go to? Yeah, I mean, usually we have stuff out on Twitter, um, and CPW is out there with the Northeast region, you know, and some of the parks have their specific um, Twitter accounts also. Um, we also will post those on our webpage. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing. If people just check the webpage 
production stuff. And, and we will post all those on the website, and, and we'll throw stuff out on Twitter, usually on, on a regular basis, if not quicker than a website. Well, Scott, it's a great time of year. We get out and do a lot of recreating this time of year, and this is great information. We appreciate you joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. Well, I appreciate you having me on, you know, and we just want everybody to be safe and, and have an enjoyable time. We love to see people out at the parks and our, our recreation areas, so, um, but we want to be everybody to be safe when they're doing it. So thank you. Our thanks to Minnie May, CPW's Water Quality Coordinator, and Scott Roush, Deputy Regional Manager for CPW's Northeast Region, for their expertise and insights into water quality here in the state of Colorado. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.